Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. And on tonight's show, we try to pick the best value stocks of reporting season heating up. Julia Lee gives her latest hot stock tips and she says her COVID-19 stocks are really doing well. Morgan's Raymond Chan look at the stocks the broker likes, exploring different themes that could suit different kinds of investors, but he does give us his best bets. And then we talk to the CEO of Elmo, Danny Jessup. This company has been doing really well over the last five years. It's interesting to see what he has to say about the company going forward. Then Fairmont Equities' Michael Gable shows us what the charts are actually saying about the stock market going forward and which stocks are being really given the thumbs up by Michael. And finally, Paul Rickard looks at how we should play this stock market with the Aussie dollar likely to rise in coming months. Well, that's the show ahead. Let's start with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Well, it's reporting season and Julia Lee is someone who would be really watching this very, very closely and also to see how some of her stocks, the COVID-19 stocks that she's been looking at over the past weeks, see how they're going. Julia, great to see you. Good to be here, Pete. Okay, so what's reporting season telling you so far? Is it, is it worse than expected or maybe a little bit better than expected? It feels like Christmas, Pete, um, but so far... No massive surprises on the negative side to come out, um, but we're pretty early on in the season and expectations are that this one will be a tough one with earnings declining by 15% for the Aussie share market. A couple of the stocks in our portfolio have either pre-reported or come out early in terms of earnings um, mm. and they've both done very well. So we've seen a great result coming through from Super Retail, which has seen some strong sales. And it looks like during COVID-19, that DIY theme has really helped super retailers, people work on their cars. Mm. And we've also seen Chatterhall Wales coming out early with its result. Unlike a lot of real estate investment trusts um, in the property space, it's actually seen positive revaluations and uh, an improved outlook as well. So look, um, both of those stocks are doing well, but okay. also quite positive on Breville, which should be coming out this week. One of the first things I did, Pete, was run out and buy a coffee machine uh, mm. during the first st stage of lockdown. And I suspect that Breville has seen some pretty strong demand during this COVID-19. Yeah, let's just run through that. And, and I've got to say to you, yesterday when I was at Bondi Junction, I went into Harvey Norman and I was looking at the high-end you know, stainless steel um, coffee makers you know, with the actual... Uh, nozzle to actually do your your um, your milk, and uh, they were Breville. They were high-end Breville ones, and so I was thinking to myself, these guys are going to be doing well during a lockdown situation. But let's go back through. What, why did Char and I, you, you tipped Charterhall uh, Wales uh, a few weeks ago? Why have they done so well compared to others? One of the characteristics that, that I like about Charterhall Wales is the very long lease expiry. So the average weighted lease expiry is about 14 years compared to the industry, which is about five years. And that means the cash flow and the rent that comes through from its portfolio is relatively stable. And we've seen that in the, these results. While we've seen a lot of retail and also office coming under pressure and um, some, uh, some tenants not paying rent, you have a look at Chatter Hall's portfolio, that's less than 1% of revenue oh, that's sure. been impacted. I think yes. it was 0.2% of revenue that was impacted during the period. So very different from your typical retail portfolio or even your office portfolio. These are assets like the Coles distribution centers, Telstra exchange towers, 
uh, petrol stations. Um, so relatively stable tenants, which are government or T1 tenants, mm. and stable cash flow, which has been reflected here. Okay, and you mentioned uh, before that uh, a company that's also doing really well, Super Retail Group. Yeah, yeah. Tell tell my uh, viewers what companies they have in their, uh, their their group, but also is it too late to buy Super Retail Group? Do you think? Well, I never think it's too late to buy a company that's doing well. I guess the key question to ask with some of these COVID-19 stocks is, are we seeing um, demand brought forward? And then are we going to see a bit of a lull in terms of sales after COVID-19? But one of the things I like about Breville um, is that it does have a strong research and development. As you mentioned, Pete, uh, they're always coming up with new products. And not only mm. does my coffee machine have the milk frother, but it also grinds its own coffee beans as well. In the area of super retail, super cheap auto is uh, doing very well in terms of sales, but also Rebel Sport. I mean, I went and bought a kettlebell the other day to exercise at home and um, had to go to a number of stores because it was sold out. So certainly that exercise theme has been helping it along. Mm. And one area that hasn't been doing so well is map pack uh, during the um, COVID-19 lockdown. So I guess there's a lot less travel involved, which means you don't need some of that travel gear and adventure gear. But otherwise, Super Rita are traveling pretty well and it's yeah. been performing well since the results as well. It was trading uh, with a seven in front of it uh, yeah. before the results were pre-released. And now it's trading with a nine in front of it, I believe. Yeah, that's a good one. Any other companies you'd like to talk about either because they have reported and you still like them or maybe ones that are, are going to be reporting pretty soon? I think Next DC reports this week and that's been one of your favourite companies. There's been a number of stocks in the portfolio which, has been, which have been hitting record highs ahead of results. So Breville's one. Uh, as well as NextDC and Appen all hitting all-time record highs in, in the portfolio. I guess with NextDC, it's this structural move to cloud and the use of data that's seen it uh, accelerating in terms of contracts. And look, I think NextDC will continue to do well. I think Appen is also a pretty interesting one as well. It's, uh, I guess, it's one of the few ways to get exposure to AI on the Aussie share market, artificial intelligence. And I think it's it's one for the longer term portfolio. So they've already guided for EBITDA between 125 to $130 million. The key thing that I'll be watching there is for a potential upgrade to guidance, which will be a nice boost, which is something I'd like to see. The other stock I'm watching carefully, which isn't coming out with its uh, report this week, but um, is there is a key catalyst, is Mesoblast. Mm. The 13th of August, it has a meeting with the FDA, um, and that should see the FDA uh, voting on its uh, remis stem cell for graft versus hosts in children. So a positive vote there would go a long way to ultimate approval, which is due on the 30th of September. And if all that goes through, then we'd expect to see a launch of that product in the US in the fourth quarter of this calendar year, which would be a pretty exciting thing. For Mesoblast, the shares were up 11% today. So just mm. a couple more days to to wait for that pot potential catalyst. Yep, well, you've always been a fan of Mesoblast, so I think you're probably opening uh, opening up one of your French bottles of uh, wine tonight, uh, Julia. <laughs> I'm going to wait till the 13th. Never count your chickens before they hatch. Good stuff. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager 
with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, from time to time, I like to catch up with Michael Gable to see whether my gut feeling about where the market's heading is supported or not supported by what the charts are telling us. So Michael is an expert on technical matters. He runs a business called Fairmont Equities. He joins me in the studio. Hi, mate. Hi, Peter. So tell us what's happening with the overall index, the S&P ASX 200. Well, it's holding in there quite nicely. As, as you know, there's been a lot thrown at the market mm. over the last two months. I mean, when we last spoke in mid-June, we're expecting our market to take a bit of a breather um, from that fantastic run that it had uh, before that. And it's basically gone sideways. I mean, it's a bit of a snooze fest for some, but mm. um, again, a lot's been thrown out in terms of the virus, you know, upcoming reporting season. Victoria. Yep, exactly. Mm. But it, it's held in there, which is a sign of strength. And I think that the next move for our market is to the upside. Okay, so what you're seeing now, and people are seeing on screen, the fact it's going sideways, you think it's building a bit of a base from which you can take off again? Precisely. So what I've indicated on the chart um, for our viewers here um, is just the buying of the dips. So there's a, a number of arrows just <coughs> indicating yeah. that every time the market tried to pull back, there was some buying to, to bring it back up. So yeah. um, as, as we spoke about a number of months ago, I think there's still a lot of money on the sidelines that missed that initial bounce in March. Mm. And they're looking to, I guess, deploy it into the market at the right time. So every time the market has a dip, um, it's been bought up. Now the key, I guess, for our market is that June peak, which I've indicated by uh, the blue horizontal line. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if we what, can- What level is that, Matt? Uh, it's around 6120. Okay, and we're, uh, I mean, we're hovering around 6000, haven't we? And yeah, exactly. 6120 is the one to look forward to. It's, it's not too far away. Mm. So there's buying of the dips, and you know, in my opinion, it looks like after we've thrown a lot at it, it hasn't gone down. So the next move will probably be to the upside. So once we crack that um, that horizontal line, mm. uh, the market will be able to resume its uptrend. And I guess in many ways, Michael, the fact that the government did come out with an extension of JobKeeper. That would have helped the market as well because we are yeah. seeing companies that are benefiting from all the government stimulus actually doing quite well. Retail yeah, that's, in particular. That's right. I mean, that, that, that was one of the, I guess, concerns for, for a lot of people in the market. That's been taken away. Um, but the other two are obviously uh, the rising infection rates in Victoria. But that's a today problem. As we know, they're in lockdown and two weeks from now, the numbers will be a lot different. Mm. And heading into reporting season, probably one of the worst reporting seasons expected for 10 years, but you know what it's like when expectations are so low, yeah. it leaves us with surprises on the yeah, upside. It's easy so to impress, I think, it? yeah, I think the market is, is very close to making a move here. Okay, let's go to the next one now. This is Santos, and we have seen the oil price improve in recent times. Mm. Is the, uh, the chart saying there's more upside for our oil producers? Yeah, so I quite like the, the look of the Santos chart. So what it's done here, um, what I've indicated with that horizontal line is a, a very good support level around $5. So when the share price took a bit of a tumble um, 
a few months ago mm. um, on decreasing oil prices. It left a gap around $5. It managed to get through that um, several weeks ago and it's come back to find support there. And what I've then tried to show with the diagonal line mm. is over the last several weeks, it has been building higher. So mm. I guess one of the most- H Higher bottoms. High, yeah, mm. higher lows. And one mm. of, I guess the key takeaway for any of our viewers, I mean, one of the simplest things to look at is, is a stock making higher lows and higher highs, mm. if, or is it making lower highs and lower lows at a very simple level. If it's making the lower highs and lower lows, mm. it's going backwards. Why yeah. do you want to buy something going backwards? And it's telling you about the, the, um, the, the avalanche of money in either direction at the moment. Yep. It's very positive, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, again, I'm, I'm looking out towards a year or two from now. I don't care what's happening today. No. So in terms of the oil price, it will be higher in a year or two from now. Yeah. I think that's undeniable. Yeah. And I think Santos, in terms of its share price action, it's starting to reflect that that feeling that this is a pretty good level for Santos. Okay, let's go to the next one now. <clears throat> I have mentioned that retail's doing a lot better than people expected. Mm. And you're looking at Harvey Norman. So what are yeah. you seeing there? Um, look, this is a great looking chart. So um, retailers- Jerry will love to hear you say that. Yeah, Can look, I mean, you know the company better than I do. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Jerry, I mean, mm. Retail stocks have done really well, I guess, with Harvey Norman because of, you know, they do have a big bricks and mortar um, presence. It mm. doesn't get looked at, I guess, as, as closely as something like Kogan or, or Temple and Webster with, mm. with what's happening at the moment. But um, they're benefiting from this situation that we're in at the moment in terms mm. of retail sales. And what I wanted to point out with this chart is the fact that up until a few days ago, it was also heading sideways similar to our market, yep. but in a tightening range. And uh, I guess that sort of price action for, for some investors becomes a bit boring. They think, well, this isn't going anywhere. Um, I'm going to bail out. But when I see price action starting to tighten up like that, mm. it's, you know, for me, it's the opposite. I, I think, well, this, this could be really interesting mm. because it's like, it's like compressing a spring eventually it, it'll burst, and that's what we've seen yeah. with Harvey Norman in the last few days. And I guess it means also, Michael, that the, the diversity of views mm. is becoming much, much um, closer rather yep. than further apart, and that's why you think... And, and have we seen a, a bit of a bounce out of there? Yeah, so uh, about a week ago, we saw a nice move out of that, um, mm. that trading range, mm. and Harvey Norman's now trending higher. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of how high it can go, you know, I don't try to pick targets. You just have to stick with with the winners. This yep. is winning at the moment in terms of yep. trades. And yeah, look, nice momentum. I think you've got further and upside. And you'll probably pay a better dividend in the banks this year as well. Yeah, well, and also did it, yeah, did a mm. special dividend as mm. we know mm. um, in June. Mm. So look, the, they're making money. Um, it's heading in the right direction. And mm. you know, who am I to predict when um, things will turn around for that sector? At the moment, the momentum's there. I think okay. you have to stick with it. And the final one, um, we know the stock market can be a bit of a gamble. Mm. And you've got aristocrat leisure here. From what I can see, this chart's looking pretty positive as well. Yeah, this is, this is one of our favourite stocks. Mm. I mean, aristocrat leisure, um, their earnings growth year on year just continues to impress. So mm. it got hit hard during um, the, the initial impact with, with the virus, yeah. but it's recovered. Casinos are closed down. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. recovered very well, but they've also diversified into online gaming yeah. as well. So, I mean, putting aside the ethical considerations, mm. This company makes a lot of money. They grow their earnings really well. Our analyst really likes it. But what I've indicated on the chart here is, again, just that over the last several weeks, just a slow um, 
sort of appreciation of the share price. So again, we've started, we've moved from a period over the last couple of months where it started to make lower highs, lower lows, and now it's making those lower highs, sorry, the higher highs, higher lows. It can get very confusing. Is that shit? So, but what yeah. I'm, I wasn't correct <laughs> but what I'm indicating with those yeah. diagonal lines is it's it's making some progress, and mm. and day by day when I look at its price action, it's showing me that um, there is some good buying coming in. And I wouldn't be surprised if this thing could trade up towards um, that that previous peak in February. Yes, and it, which is a, still a fair way away, isn't it? When yeah. you look at the chart. Michael, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Michael Gable, Fairmont Equities. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, joining me on The Switzer Show is Danny Lessam, who's the CEO of Elmo. Now, Elmo has been a very successful company, particularly if you look at the five-year chart. The five-year chart's very, very encouraging. The last year has probably gone sideways, but a little thing called the coronavirus got in the way, I would say. But Danny joins us now. Thanks for joining us on the program. Great to be with you. Let's, let's look at the, the positives that have come out of this report, Danny. First of all, your annualised recurring revenue is uh, $55.1 million. It's up 19.7%. Where's the source of that rise coming from? Yeah, uh, it just goes to the resilience of our business model. So as a software as a service company, we have recurrent revenue. It's based on subscription. Um, and just in terms of... Uh, uh, coming in with 19.7% uh, growth on an AR uh, uh, basis, it's it's not use it's not uh, comparable to our usual very high growth of 30 to 35%, but it just shows the resilience even in a COVID uh, uh, affected circumstance with a bit of muted procurement, mm. uh, we we can still grow at a at a fair tick. Why don't you explain to my viewers who might not know your company? What are the specific activities where you've been growing this business? Yeah, so uh, what we do at Almo is we're a broad convergence solution to help uh, companies, mainly in the mid-market, to manage and pay their people. So around the HR function and payroll. Uh, the way we do it is through a cloud-based solution. It's a cloud-based solution. So our customers subscribe to one or multiple modules and um, uh, we, we have various configuration uh, options for them. And this way they can automate those functions. And this becomes really relevant, particularly in a geographically dispersed uh, uh, sort of workforce. So with the uh, move to remote based working, it's actually a bit of a catalyst, we do believe, as we get beyond uh, COVID-19 and we return to procurement as normal, it actually adds a lot of impetus for businesses to automate and to automate using a cloud-based system like Elmo. Mm. So given the fact you're in the pay space and one of the, 
I guess, surprise developments of all of this has been JobKeeper. How has your software incorporated the, the change uh, coming from JobKeeper? Again, another opportunity. So with the, with the government stimulus and uh, the uh, reporting requirements uh, for JobKeeper, um, we've been able to create the workflows and the automation to make it a lot easier for those businesses uh, seeking JobKeeper to incorporate it into their, into their business flow and evidence it for their applications. So absolutely, um, uh, we've, we've got that out and it's, uh, it's made the life a lot easier for Almo customers in accessing that stimulus. Okay, I noticed that you've had uh, about 1,682 new organisations in a year. How have, you, how have you actually marketed to get that kind of growth? Yeah, look, in, in terms of um, Elmo as, uh, as a platform uh, within the domain, within um, uh, uh, HR stakeholders, it's a very well-known brand. Uh, it's not a new brand. Uh, I founded the company back in 2002, so we've been around for a long time. So there's a lot of word of mouth in terms of companies wanting to automate. Uh, they know about Elmo and uh, they, they contact us. Obviously, we have a very large digital presence as well, as well as being um, really involved with the uh, professional, uh, professional associations uh, connected with uh, HR and payroll. So a very well-known uh, brand name in the domain. Okay, so and I've been, it's, it's been explained to me, because I, sh I should point out that I am a shareholder, and uh, so that's why I'm going to grill you as hard as I can here. It has been pointed out, Danny, that yeah, it's not so much getting new customers, which of course you'd like, but it's actually getting your existing customers to use more of your modules. And so what's the potential number of modules a customer might use and what fraction or percentage are they currently using? Yeah, it's a very wide convergence solution. So currently there are 15 modules or 15 potential revenue streams. And currently um, uh, the average customer is using 2.7. So there's heaps of headroom to cross-sell additional modules. And if I give you a further metric, if we look at our total incremental annual recur recurring revenue, which is sort of invoiced revenue, um, about 40% of that total AOR is coming from existing customers. So we are, un uh, we, we are unleashing or we are actualizing that large cross-sell opportunity. Okay, let's look at things that shareholders care about, namely the share price. And I know you as a CEO will, will probably find some excuse for, for share prices because you know, ultimately it's what the market will do, what the market will do. But we're not going to let you get away with that kind of answer, Danny. So you were, um, uh, you were approximately a $7.91 company on the 7th of May. Um, then you had a placement, right, uh, on the 11th of May. And uh, the share price dropped and you're now around $6.11. So explain to my uh, viewers why a placement uh, and other circumstances might explain the drop in the share price and then give us a bit of encouragement that you think there's plenty of upside. Yeah, look, um, just in terms of the vagaries of the share price, probably not the expert. Um, my expertise is, in, is running Elmo as a business, yeah. but um, that that aside is, um, if we look at historically, and we, we listed the company back in 2017 at 
So we're um, sitting at, a, at around just over $6 now. Yep. Um, we've also raised a lot of money, so there was a, a bit of a dilutionary effect. We've got about $140 million on our balance sheet, which is yet to be deployed, um, both in, uh, in ramping up organic growth as well as in acquisition activity. So just in terms of the share price, it is what it is now. I'm, uh, uh, in, I can't really talk to the short-term movements. But if I look at the long-term potential uh, with Elmo, is we're probably at a historic juncture now. Is we well capitalized? Um, we'll, we do anticipate um, uh, tailwinds behind the engagement of cloud-based systems like Elmo, particularly among smaller organizations, as we move beyond uh, the uh, the crest of this pandemic. Hmm. And then number three is that we've got some fantastic opportunities on the M&A front and we've already raised the money for it. So in terms of looking into the future, we do believe that we're going to return to our historically high growth rates on the organic side. And this will be supplemented by some very, very well targeted acquisitions as well as geographic expansion. So there's enormous potential ahead and we do take a long term view. Um, and uh, we take a long-term view for shareholders, and we do believe that as we actualize this potential, that will be over time reflected in the share price. And now, Danny, I'm asked this question because it must have been three or four years ago, I was asked to MC a conference for a, a then fairly little-known company called Zero. It was their second annual conference. And uh, I was there MC. The share price was $14. I remember noting it on my TV show at the time. Um, and not long after, the share price was about $34. And, I, and regrettably, I didn't invest at $14. But I remember the story very well because when I was there at that conference in the morning tea, so many people came up and talked to me and they knew me. Um, and I didn't necessarily know them, but for many years I'd been the small business editor for the Australian newspaper, and a lot of those people were bookkeepers, and they were bookkeepers who once upon a time were MYOB who had uh, transferred to zero. And that was probably the, the best indicator to me that I should have really bought a lot of zero shares then, because they are the great advocates of a product like that. So who are your advocates? Who are the people out there who would be saying, this is the best uh, HR uh, software program you guys should have? Yeah, um, I suppose very, very similar to Xero. Um, uh, whilst um, our brand name is not known amongst amongst uh, just the general public, mm. it's very well known amongst um, HR stakeholders. So from uh, smaller organizations to larger ones is Elmo's very well known. Uh, we, we're very responsive to our client base. Uh, we've, we've invested very heavily in the product. So our big advocates are users and that's where we've got our growth from. So mm -hmm. just within HR domain, so people involved in that area and now um, uh, in payroll, this is, this is really where we're getting uh, our wraps. And that's um, really why we are, are very confident with our growth going forward because it's, it's very much organic from, from our user base itself. Okay, and so going forward, are there two um, drivers of the business? One is the, the acquisitions and uh, the ability to, to sell more modules to existing customers. But to what extent will a return to normalcy, whatever the new normalcy is, how important will that be as a tailwind to the business? 
Yeah, look, in terms of um, the the advent of COVID, it has been um, a, a pretty difficult around your regular procurement process. So it, it has caused some short-term pain, some deferral of procurement, a slight increase in churn, and we've obviously increased our provisioning for bad debt. As we go back to procurement as usual, uh, a, there's a enormous tailwinds behind because we're still very early in, in our growth journey. Uh, uh, most organizations are still using manual process to manage people. And where they're using payroll, they're using older legacy systems. Uh, we have a contemporary cloud-based system. And as we go to the new normal, we do anticipate there'll be an increase in flexible work arrangements. I think the genie's out of the bottle with that. Um, everyone, everyone knows Zoom and everyone can uh, work effectively uh, remotely. We're not saying that everyone's going to move out of the cities and work remotely 100%, but there'll be more flexibility. And once you've got a geographically dispersed workforce, you cannot rely on manual process anymore. You need to have um, cloud-based tools to uh, automate the way that um, uh, you manage people, process and pay and also engage your workforce. So um, fantastic opportunities ahead, not only for Elmo, but uh, for all cloud-based platforms, mm -hmm. but certainly with our, our peak brand equity in Australia and New Zealand, we do believe to believe that we'll be um, beneficiaries of that, um, uh, uh, of that tailwind as we return to normal. So whilst we have great empathy for businesses that are, are very, uh, uh, hard hit by by COVID is um, just being a cloud-based vendor. We we do have some benefits um, by the uh, change to uh, more flexible work arrangements. Danny, thanks for joining us. Good luck. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Same to you. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, I thought I'd like to catch up with Raymond Chan from Morgans to see what the company, what the broking company likes at this point in time, uh, given the fact that there are a number of companies that ultimately have been affected by the coronavirus. Raymond, thanks for joining us on the program. Peter, good to see you. Yeah. Now, let's, uh, you guys always put out an analysis of all the companies you like or dislike. Now, focus is going to be on the companies you like, and there are various themes. The first theme I'm looking at here is domestic cyclicals. Yep. Tell us about the companies you like that you think are well-placed for the domestic cycle. Sure. Uh, first of all, why do we like domestic cynical? Uh, well, obviously, with this COVID-19 um, disruption, you know, people are less likely to travel or unable to travel. Mm -hmm. So instead of spending the money on overseas holiday and accom accommodation, they are more likely to spend money to renovate their home or build up their home office. So the, the company like you know, West Farmers, which is which owned um, Bunnings and Office Work, uh, are there. Uh, they sell home furniture. 
Um, even Domino Pizza, because people stay, you know, spend more time at home, are likely to benefit. And with the domestic retailer, if you, if we all remember, they have a tough time, you know, you know, March sell down. They have gradually climbed back, but many of them actually not reach their previous high. So there's certainly going to, to be some uh, opportunity going into the reporting season. Yeah, I know you guys like Adairs, and you also like Baby Bunting. Are you assuming that people are going to be uh, home more and therefore there's more chance of pregnancies arriving? <laughs> that, that could be the reason. <laughs> uh, certainly, we, we also back the management team. You know, the management team has been able to execute the strategies really yep. well and expand uh, at a time where uh, we, we think they do it in a prudent way. So we, we back the management and the company continue to do well. Uh, so we, we like the baby abundance going into the result. Okay, let's go to the companies you like because of cost controls. And here you've got the banks, Telstra and Super Retail Group. Talk, talk to us about those companies. Many Australian corporate already cut down their costs because obviously they cannot grow their revenue. Uh, and when we look at the stocks that we like, we sort of think about, you know, what is the stock the market hate the most at the moment? <laughs> when we talk to most investors, most of them nowadays hate banks. Mm. The banks has been a big underperformer even before the, the COVID-19 disruption. They got hit by the Royal Commission. There is, you know, technology disruption on the banks. However, what we like about the bank is its share price already reflects many of these uh, downside risk. And we think uh, the bank in general, they already have a sufficient credit provision. Mm. As such, you know, at the current price and APRA about two weeks ago, they say the bank uh, is able to make dividend payment again. Uh, so we think, you know, uh, bank got big room to cut down their costs, have the ability to start paying a little bit, not, not going to be what they are paying uh, last year, but there will be still be some dividend uh, and given the current share price, I think the bank uh, should do well in the reporting season. Okay, Telstra. Uh, Telstra. Last time when I, you know, when we have the interview, uh, we talk about you know Telstra. Last time we talk about five G is what we are looking at. Now, Telstra recently they continue to cut down on their costs, and they sell. They continue to sell down the long core asset such as the you know the. The, um, the data center and the like. Uh, with Telstra, I think you know they uh, continue to benefit from the strong cash flow. Yes, we are all going to stay at home. However, we are going to use more bandwidth mm. uh, to 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 do work for entertainment. That is going to benefit you know uh, for their essential services. And also with Telstra, another thing is you know a merger between between TBG and Vodafone now approved it and and is a done deal, they certainly create a more rational mobile market. As such, you know, this is a few things we like about Telstra. Yeah, super retail group. Well, this is not a typical stock people will be thinking of. However, super retail group is one of the few companies where they can significantly cut down the cost. And in the most recent uh, uh, update, they have shown that uh, cutting down the cost will, will allow them to improve the margin or at least defend the margin. That's why we like uh, super retail group. Okay, now in the defensive area, you like um, Spark and you like uh, Amcor and Horizon. Which one do you, of, the, of those do you like the most? 
depends on which type of investor uh, we are. I mean, personally, I, I, I love yield. You know, I think my portfolio yield is a you know is a part of the return which is more predictable. Hmm. And speaking of predictability, I think Spark you know come up with the one more predictable. Hmm. Uh, investor likely to you know get uh, roughly around five percent dividend yield. And yes, there are going to be some risk for next financial year. There may be some risk they will have to cut down on the dividend. However, for this result, I think you know the the five percent yield should be pretty defensive. Uh, Horizon is another one uh, where they yeah, they announced the, the result uh, today. Um, the dividend is slightly lower than the market expected. However, it's still a healthy five five plus percent dividend. So for the yield investor uh, yeah. like myself. I like those two companies. Yeah, okay, without doubt. Now, in the final theme, you've got high PE names and the, you've got ResMed down here, um, down on good numbers. Just talk to us about ResMed. Yeah, uh, when we think about the high PE names, uh, immediately lots of investors will think about technology stocks. However, technology stocks, many of them don't even have earnings, so they don't have PE. So many of these technology stocks, they're trading on a revenue multiple. This is something that we learned back to the early 2000s. Yes. So I'm not talking about uh, that part of the game. We talk about traditional blue chips company that generate good revenue, but because of their defensive model, they got trade at a very high PE, like Resmet. Last week, when we look at the ResMed result, it's actually a pretty good result. Mm -hmm. However, it's not as good as the market believed. That's why the share price got sold down going into the result, mm -hmm. uh, actually when the result is announced. And uh, this is not a reflection of the bad result. It's just a, re just, just a function of people are paying too high of the price going into the result. ResMed is just one example. It's another company, another company CSL, mm -hmm. is they're trading on high PE. There's some risk going into the resale. However, if the share price got sold down on a resale, I will probably take the opportunity to buy. So high PE name is the one where I would just hold on, watch it, any share price weakness, I'm going to buy. Okay, so two companies you like on a bit of a sell-off of the market would be ResMed and CSL. Yep. Raymond Chan from Morgan, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, Peter. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, the Australian dollar actually fell overnight, but it actually has been on an upward trend for quite some time. What does it mean if it keeps on rising for investments right now? Paul Rickard has written a story in the Switzer Report today, uh, and he's looking at it right now. Paul, how are you going? Good, thanks, Petty. You made a remark that the Australian dollar did fall overnight. Uh, look, it, nothing goes in the one direction forever, but the Aussie dollar certainly is an uptrend, mm. and uh, driven very much by the weakness in the US dollar, strong response as commodity prices pick up and also 
I think Australia's perceived to, uh, at least prior to the Victorian situation, handled the virus pretty well. But mm. it, it's really a US dollar story weakness mm. uh, is really driving the Aussie dollar higher. And is it likely then, Paul, that the trend will be, even if the rise is slower than what some people are predicting, it's more up than down, do you think? I think there's more up than down, Peter. I mean, uh, we're still, you could argue that sort of 75 cents has been sort of considered to be sort of fair value on the Aussie. Yeah. Historically, we're a fraction below, but uh, look, you look at the chart, we do tend to go from one to the other, and yeah. uh, we've been down to 57 cents. Uh, it's, it's a little while since we've been above 75 cents, and I think this is a, you know, what's the change in the US dollar is, is, is a function of what central banks, particularly the US government and the US Federal Reserve are doing. They're flooding the world with, with money uh, and uh, the US budget deficit is ballooning mm. and it's hard to see that, uh, that course changing, changing. quickly. Yeah, now, to, for those people who don't fully understand, um, let's take a stock like CSL, great company, currently around $277, I think it was as high as about $348. Um, now, is, do you think part of the fall in CSL is, is currency related, Paul? Look, it's partly currency. There's probably some other factors. Let, let's just go through the, the currency story first. Yeah. Look, I mean, CSL, about 91 or 92% of its revenue comes from outside Australia. Right? Now, that means that uh, in Australian dollars terms, if the Australian dollar goes up, it's, it's not worth as much because our currency is worth a lot more. When we get US dollars or CSL gets US dollars, they're worth less. It converts into less Australian yeah. profits and that ultimately can affect the share price. Yeah, CSL is an international company. It reports in US dollars. It measures what it calls uh, performance in terms of constant currency that's designed to eliminate any of the FX risk. Mm. But even so, for Australian shareholders, when you've got an Australian share which is trading in Australian dollars and pays Australian dollar dividends, if CSL earns less, you know, then your dividends go down. Mm. Uh, and so it does have an impact overall, uh, potentially on the stock price. So there are other, other factors as well, but that's certainly one of them and why okay. CSL perhaps has been struggling in the last couple of months. Okay, R run through the stocks that are going to be potentially negatively affected by this rising currency. Yeah, in fact, we started with CSL, Peter, and of course, the um, probably our medical, our major medical companies are the most impacted group of yeah. uh, companies because they happen to be the most diversified. And successful. And, and they're running global businesses. So your CSLs, your Cochleas, your ResMeds, your Ramsey, your Sonic Healthcare, mm. they're all global businesses. Each mm. of those company earns at least 50% uh, of its revenue offshore. Yeah. So uh, a higher Australian dollar means less offshore revenue, has a negative effect uh, potentially on their share price in Australian dollar terms. So if you had to pick one sector that's going to do it hardest out of a higher Aussie dollar, it would be the healthcare sector. Let's go to miners next. Yeah, look, miners are also impacted. So obviously BHP and Rio, they sell all their commodities are based in US dollars. Now they do have some natural hedges. Mm. And also uh, the other sort of hedge that they have is typically when the US dollar goes up, the prices of commodities fall, and conversely, when the US dollar weakens, the price of commodities go up. So in this environment where the US dollar is actually cheapening, commodity prices are going back up. So they have a bit of a sort of a natural hedge here. Yep. And in fact, the commodity uh, companies like the BHP and Rio's, and for that matter, your gold miners will say they're much more worried about the commodity price than they are about the exchange rate. So some impact. Mm. 
um, but probably not as big. So okay. you can put put your CSLs, sorry, your Rio, your BHP, all your gold miners mm. into the same category. Financials? Financials not too badly impacted. It really doesn't impact the share prices of the Australian banks. Mm. Macquarie is the exception because uh, about 40 to 50 percent of Macquarie's revenue is now out of from offshore. So mm. a little bit of impact there, maybe on a company like QBE. Yeah. Okay, let's go to ones that may benefit. And I guess retailers, they buy a lot of importer stuff. You expect that they would benefit from this? Yeah, there are a couple of winners. And uh, you mentioned the retail sector, Peter. So anyone who's importing goods uh, and selling them back in Australia. So the classic examples would be companies like your Harvey Normans, mm. your JB Hi-Fi, your Nick Scarleys, um, Kogan.com, largely selling um, goods made overseas. They're going to be cheaper to buy, so they've got two choices. They can either elect to actually perhaps increase their margin, yep. make more profit, or alternatively, just because goods are cheaper, that it may increase demand, yeah. so they get higher sales. So t t uh, potentially your discretionary retailers can benefit. The other sector that... Uh, and also some of the, the, the there's a couple of auto dealers yeah. as well selling luxury cars. So anyone who's selling sort of goods made overseas, being sold in Australia, they could be winners out of a higher currency. Okay. Any other unusual businesses that you think are, are they going to be uh, benefiting or not benefiting? Well, I think the other thing to worry about it for investors, of course, is if you're investing offshore and you're investing in a listed investment company or an exchange traded fund or a managed fund that's mm. investing offshore. We all know that if the currency goes up, that's going to make it uh, less attractive in terms of your overall returns, because not just the investment return you're worried about, you've also got to manage the currency risk. So if you are in things like uh, IVV, which of course tracks the uh, S&P 500, that's the unhedged product version. There's also a hedged version, um, IHVV. Mm. And even a company like Magellan, which has Magellan Global Equities, that's the unhedged um, active fund management, fund manager uh, fund. Uh, they also have a hedged version that mm. you can look at. So there are some choices you can make uh, if you want to get t at least take away the currency risk out of the equation. Okay, and, and when you buy a, a hedged version like IVV gives you the S&P 500 index in the US, if you go IHVV, you get the hedge one, but it does cost you more, doesn't it, Paul? Yeah, there's a fraction higher um, management fee, so mm. that's a downside. And also, you know, look, sometimes the liquidity on the market may not be as good, so you the spread to actually get set might be a little more challenging. But look, I, I think we've, we've talked about hedging before, longer term, you know, these sort of levels probably make sense to be hedged. Mm. Uh, we still see that the, the trend for the currency is uh, a higher Australian dollar. Okay, I'm gonna put you on the, start, on the spot with stocks. Which one do you think is still gonna be the biggest beneficiary from this rising dollar? Who, who would you like to add to I, your stock or yeah, add more I, I of? think I'd, I'd go for the, the discretionary retailers, Peter. Mm. I think that, that typically we've seen that they can, uh, yeah. you know, we know that Australians are super sensitive to price yeah. uh, and uh, they can actually boost demand, particularly in the lockdown, electronics, games, all those type of things. If mm. they're, they're cheaper, Australians will buy more. That's got to be good for the yeah. profits of well, uh, the JB Hi-Fi's and others. Yeah. Well, Mike Gable today um, pointed out the HVNs, um, a stock chart looks pretty promising, so I guess you're on the, a unity ticket with Mike Gable. That's Paul Ricard. If you want to read about that report, you can go to switzerreport.com.au. Paul's written a story on that today. That's the show, and thanks for joining us. But before I go, in today's Switzer report, I looked at 13 quality stocks that are beaten up by the coronavirus and or the Victorian lockdown. But I suggest that their 10 to 20% plus share price outlooks from expert analysts suggest that they could be a really good buy and hold 
group of stocks. For those who believe that the coronavirus one day will be replaced by a normal Australia and world economy. And Warren Buffett has advised us, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. I'm Peter Switzer. I'll see you next week.